0: Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, we've put some black Bibles under the chairs, and we would love for you to keep that. If you don't have one at home, we want you to get in the habit of opening them and and reading them. We study the Bible every week because we believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. And so we need to hear from him. We want to hear from him. uh, And that's what we're going to do right now. We're in a series right now called What's Wrong With Church? What's Wrong With Church? I'm sure many of you have asked that question yourself. Well, just to answer it simply, we have all kinds of problems. But one specific issue in the Corinthian church that infects our modern churches as well is division and pride. So we preached through the first four chapters of the book back in 2020. I encourage you to go back and check that out. And we called it true unity. And the idea was that we can have true unity in the gospel, in Jesus. And that's the solution to the division and pride problem. When we pointed ourselves too much, we're not allowing people to see... The need for Jesus. And so we want to be unified around Jesus. This week, we're going to be in chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think it's around 958 in the Black Bibles. And as we look at chapter 12, this week, we're calling the sermon The Truly Spiritual Ones. The Truly Spiritual Ones. Now, I wanted to make you raise your hands as like a survey. How many of you are... No, don't raise your hands. But how many of you think you're the truly spiritual ones, huh? Um, we, <laughs> we all struggle with this in different ways, or you might struggle on the opposite end thinking, I'm not. Like if this changed in my life, then I'd be the truly spiritual ones. Um, there are kind of different ways we grew up in churches that, that focus on this. I think some charismatic churches might teach you that you're truly spiritual if you have particular kind of miraculous manifestations of the gifts, right? Like if you can heal or speak in tongues, then you're the truly spiritual ones. Um, in our circles, kind of Bible churches and Reformed churches, sometimes we're in danger of communicating that the truly spiritual ones are the ones with the teaching gifts, right? Like the one with the biggest library is the most spiritual person. I wish that were true because that's kind of my thing, right? But it's not actually true. Um, for years, especially when I was in seminary, I noticed this strange thing that would happen. Maybe this has happened to you. I'd be at a maybe a public event, Uh, maybe a service club I was a part of, or maybe it was a family event like Thanksgiving. And because I was studying for the ministry, that made me the spiritual one. So people would say, we need a prayer. Will you do the prayer? Does that ever happen to you? Like you're the weird Christian in the group, so you get asked to pray, right? It used to bother me because as a teacher, I wanted people to understand everybody can pray, right? Finally, I realized, man, this is just a wonderful opportunity I have to help people to see that Jesus is Lord. And as we look in the text, that's the actual key to understanding true spirituality, is Jesus. That's that's what Paul's going to unpack here. So he's going to start off, before I read the text, he's going to start off with like now concerning spiritual gifts, right? And then he's going to enter into this long section. It's really chapter 12, 13, and 14. We're going to break it into bites. We're just going to do part of chapter 12 today. Because he needs to say in the English, now about spiritual gifts. In the Greek, it's more like about spiritual things or about spiritual people, right? And there's the implication because of the division and the pride of the Corinthians that they were kind of warring with each other thinking, I'm more spiritual than those people because I have these gifts. Paul's going to say, no, it's, it's the lordship of Jesus. That's what makes us spiritual. That's what puts us in contact with supernatural things. So we're going to read verses 1 through 11, chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. That's the qualification for everything he's going to say today. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues or languages, to another the interpretation of those tongues or languages. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Spirit's in charge, and he apportions as he wills to all of us. We all have different gifts. We're all spiritual, as long as we're connected to Jesus, to what he's done for us. That's what makes us spiritual. Let me pray and ask his spirit to meet with us, to help us to hear and obey Jesus this morning. Let we pray. God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for your word, and we pray that you'd help us to hear it, help us to receive it, Um, God, I pray that you would take away the distractions, the things that are weighing heavy on our minds and our hearts, and just help us to see you clearly. Um, We pray that your spirit supernaturally would meet with us and make us more like Jesus. Help us by your spirit to serve one another and to serve you and your kingship, your lordship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so next two weeks, we'll unpack chapter 12, then we'll get into chapter 13 for a couple of weeks, then chapter 14. So some of these spiritual gifts questions that you may have based on your background, hopefully we'll answer all these questions uh, through this several week course that we're going to be on. Uh, today, we're going to try to give an overview, the big idea here. And so the big idea is that the truly spiritual ones are not the people that have a certain gift. The truly spiritual ones are the ones who have recognized that they're not spiritual without Jesus. That's really the big idea. And Jesus says this explicitly in Matthew 5.3. He says, happy or blessed are the ones who are spiritually poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says later in that section, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? It's those of us that are empty, that are broken, that recognize our spiritual need. That's what actually makes us spiritual. Jesus says, okay, that's, that's someone I can fill and save and help. So the truly spiritual ones are those who pronounce Jesus is Lord using the exact words he says in verse three. Here's my simple outline today. As we understand what it looks like to be truly spiritual, we're gonna be challenged to love Jesus, number one. We're gonna be challenged to help the team. He uses the word common good, help the team. And then finally, we're gonna play our part. Play your part. Y'all have a role to play. We all matter. We're all important. We're all a part of the team. Okay, number one, love Jesus. Spiritual ones love Jesus, verses one through three. Verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts. As I said, this is a Greek word. It's just spiritual stuff. It's kind of the Greek, you know, it's just pneumatikos. It's like spiritual things or spiritual people. He's like, okay, about the spiritual stuff. He goes on to add gifts uh, or the translators add gifts because he talks so much about gifts later on. So it's not like a bad translation to say that, but I think it's kind of, Um, maybe saying too much too soon. So it makes sense, uh, but it's just this general spirituality question we all have, like, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to be in touch with the supernatural realm? And he's gonna say, well, there are dumb idols that can't do anything for you, and then there's Jesus. It's important to recognize the difference. So he says, concerning these things, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. The word in the Greek is ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. I've got stuff to tell you. Now, we don't wanna to make too much of the insulting sound of ignorant because he uses that phrase a lot. Paul likes to use this phrase whenever he's teaching people. Um, but here I do think there's a little bit of a dig trying to help the Corinthians to be humble. Sometimes we need people to help us to be humble, right? To show us that we're not all that, that we're not as awesome as we thought. To, you know, are like knock us off our high horse. And so Paul is lovingly helping them to not think they're so awesome. I don't want you to be ignorant, guys. They prided themselves in knowing everything. So think about it. If you tell someone that thinks they're stupid, I don't want you to be ignorant. They'll just take it like, oh yeah, okay, that's sweet, thanks. If you tell someone someone that thinks they're the smartest person in the room, that you don't want them to be ignorant, how are they gonna take it? You're going to be like, whoa, Paul, what are you talking about? I'm the smart one here. Like, slow down, right? And that's part of the Corinthian problem. Verse two, he's going to spell it out more. Verse two, you know that when you were pagans, is that Greek word Gentiles is how it's translated a lot? The ethne, the tribes, the not a part of God's covenant people. You know, when you were outsiders, what? You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And he's picking up on this Old Testament theme that, that is hammered again and again by the prophets. Um, I just underlined my own footnotes in my Bible. A lot of Bibles have little footnotes that can say, here are the cross references. Here are the cross references that are really helpful. Uh, Habakkuk 2.18, Psalm 115.5, Isaiah 46.7, Jeremiah 10.5. This theme of mute idols comes up again and again in the Old Testament. What does that mean? It means the idols can't speak. And maybe you're thinking, well, of course not. They're, they're like little statues, Right? But, but that's the whole point. It's this critique. We as human beings want to worship things that have no power, that have no intelligence, that have no lordship or sovereignty over this universe. But we're like, no, nah, I don't want to trust the God of the universe. I want to trust comfort. I'm going to invest all my energy in taking the right pills or having the right experiences. So I just feel better because life is so hard. I got to feel better. And that's a mute idol. That's a dumb idol. We're, we're not actually making it a statue, right? The ancient people would carve a statue. It's just a God. We haven't even gone through the hard work of carving it into a statue, right? We're just worshiping comfort. Paul's saying, but it's dumb. It's stupid. It can't speak into your life. Now, the Old Testament prophets would, would ridicule this. The Isaiah quote that I, that I referred to, um, in Isaiah, he's like, yeah, you, you chop down a tree, And you use that tree to warm yourself by a fire. You use that tree to cook your food. And then you use that same tree to cut an idol that you're gonna worship and bow down to. But it's mute, it's dumb, it can't do anything. Paul's saying, hey, you all know before Jesus, that's what you were doing. He's not just insulting the Corinthians. He's insulting all of us, okay? We all were worshiping dumb idols. Power, success, promotions, security, financial, wealth, relationships. What is it for you that you were worshiping? I remember what I was worshiping before Jesus. It was a lot of different things. I had had multiple idols on my shelf. I was trying all of them. None of them were working because they were dumb, mute idols. He says, you were worshiping these things. You know you were led astray by these things. Verse three, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of disagreement about this with scholars who, who get caught up in rabbit trails about like, did they actually say Jesus is cursed? Like were people in the Corinthian church actually saying that? Probably not. His point here is that Jesus is Lord. It's the positive one, right? That's really the main point. Look at this again. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's saying this is what it means to be spiritual. Do you wanna be Spiritual you've got to acknowledge the lordship of King Jesus. King Jesus has defeated everything. So money is not gonna save you. Money will not resurrect you from the dead. Comfort and pleasure will not resurrect you from the dead. One more relationship, getting it right the next time, that's not gonna resurrect you from the dead. It's Jesus and only Jesus. He's the one that lived the perfect life we couldn't live that died the sacrificial death we deserve to die, but then beyond all that, rose from the dead, certifying, proving that he is Lord of the universe. He is the king of all kings. And the only way that you can acknowledge that, believe that, trust that, is by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural work of God. Jesus is Lord. God is sovereign. I was talking to my sister on the phone Yesterday, uh, we've been through a lot of craziness the last couple of months. And, you know, we all have ups and downs in life. And when it rains, it pours sometimes. So we've just been going through some hard, weird stuff. Um, And I was telling my sister out loud, like, yeah, I'm feeling better. I think I've really come to the point where I can see that God is sovereign over all these things that have taken place. And as soon as I said it, I was like, darn it. I said that out loud, right? Like, Like, I'm a theologian. I'm a preacher. I should know God's always sovereign. I should know every day that God is sovereign. I should always believe that, but sometimes the Holy Spirit takes us through an experience. We're like Monday, we're like, God, are you still sovereign? Tuesday, we're like, God, are you on the throne? Wednesday, we're like, Jesus, have you really risen from the dead and conquered sin and death? And Thursday and Friday, I'm like, no, you have. Jesus, you are Lord. So even though I first confessed that 30-something years ago, sometimes God takes us through a growth experience where we have to reconfirm that. And so what I want you to hear is the most spiritual thing that could ever happen in your life is being absolutely broken and recognizing, like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, that you are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually poor. For to you is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus promises. Happy are you, blessed are you who are spiritually poor. Recognizing your spiritual lack, your need, confessing that to Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're Lord. You're the King. You're the answer. You're the Savior. We call that faith, right? That's belief in the gospel, and that's a supernatural experience. The Holy Spirit has to be working in your life. Go back and read Ephesians 1. Some of it's going to terrify you, but mostly it will just encourage you that God is sovereign over this whole process. God is King. Jesus is Lord. He's the one that awakens our hearts to faith by his Holy Spirit. And then he's the one that, puts us through these processes we call sanctification, where by his grace, sometimes good things, sometimes hard things, well, I should say always good things, but sometimes hard things, sometimes easy things, he shows us he really is Lord. He continues to grow us in that. So to put it in context, um, brainiac, you know, teaching-oriented churches like our tradition are like, man, the only spiritual gift that really matters is teaching. That's all that matters, right? Everything else is stupid. That's not true. All the spiritual gifts matter charismatic churches all that really matters is speaking in tongues or dancing around or you know doing charismatic things no all the gifts matter what is paul saying here in the text he's saying the most supernatural thing you can experience is acknowledging the lordship of jesus that's the bottom line we say this this way coming to know jesus and trusting in him as your personal savior and growing in him galatians 5:22 through 23 says the fruit of the spirit will begin to be manifested in your life as you acknowledge his lordship. Galatians talks about this list of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So this week, next week, and over the next several weeks, we'll reference this idea of spiritual gifts. We all have different gifts. What I really want to press you on is this. Are you growing in the fruit of the spirit? Are you loving people more? Do you have more peace, more patience? more self-control, more kindness, more joy. Those are the marks of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If those things are not growing in your life, Peter says in 2 Peter 1.9, he says we're, we're becoming nearsighted and blind. We're starting to forget. Uh, I'm old enough now, I have to wear glasses. When I have trouble seeing things, I put on the glasses, Right? Calvin said, we can see God in creation. Like you just go outside and see a gorgeous sunset and you're like, God is. Jesus is Lord, right? God's there. But Calvin would say, we have this special communication through the scriptures, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. And that's more like putting on glasses so we can read creation properly. I can kind of see this fuzzy God's real in creation, put on my glasses of the good news of Jesus, the word of God. And now I'm like seeing it more clearly. Oh, Jesus is Lord. I see it now. It's more, it's more clear. It's more crisp. It's more accurate. When we gather in worship and we preach the word and we worship Jesus together and we take communion, these are all ways for us to say, hey, I'm, I'm starting to get nearsighted. I'm starting to forget the truth. I need to put on the glasses of the good news. And that's why We gather. That's why we encourage you to join small groups. That's why I encourage you to serve on teams as we're saying. These are processes by which we're putting on the glasses again of reminding ourselves of the good news. I need I need Jesus and remembering that he's there, that it's true. So again, to say it, say it this way, if you're not growing in the fruit of the spirit, you're forgetting the truth. You're you're not seeing the truth clearly. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1:9. You're becoming nearsighted and blind. You're forgetting. Maybe you need to be reminded. That's the process I needed this week <laughs> when I admitted to my sister, like, yeah, I think God is really sovereign over all these crazy things that are going on in my life. Well, of course I always knew that, but I needed to be reminded of that. And that might be where, where you are as well. We all go through this process of growing in our understanding of the good news of Jesus and what he's doing. And this is the key. So loving Jesus, the Lordship of Christ, that's, that's the key to the spiritual life. That's what it means to be truly spiritual. I grabbed a picture of someone uh, unlocking a door with a key, Um, How many of you have keys for your house or car? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you do. The rest of you just leave stuff unlocked. I love to pick on the people that don't raise their hands. Sorry. Um, And so historically, there's this thing called the keys of the kingdom. And it's talked about the keys of the kingdom are given to the apostles, right? And really what that means, sometimes we get all weird about it. It just means the apostles have the message of the good news. The keys of the kingdom is Jesus, that's really the keys of the kingdom. I mean, we can, you know, there are other details to it, right? But the key is, do you know that Jesus is Lord? That's the key. That's how you get into the kingdom. Recognizing you're you're spiritually poor, you need Jesus. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You don't have it on your own. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the answer. So so some of us, like myself, we need to keep growing in that. And as we grow in it and admitting that and seeing that and savoring that, that's, That's how those fruit of the spirit will be manifested in our lives. That's how we'll learn to actually love each other and and have peace and have trust and have joy and all these things that'll grow as we learn and relearn the truth that Jesus is Lord. Some of you have never walked in the door for the first time. And I wanna invite you in. I wanna say it is so sweet. It's so simple. Do you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt without Jesus? It's like, "I, I need him. I need you, Jesus. All you have to do is ask him. You just recognize your own brokenness, your own sin, your own separation. You're just recognizing, yeah, I'm on the outside. And Jesus says, come on in. Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, invites me in, I'll come in, I'll eat with you. We'll hang out. We'll be buddies, right? Whoever recognizes that they lack the spirit, just ask. He'll give you the spirit. He'll invite you in. Ephesians 1 says, as soon as you believe, you have the Holy Spirit of God. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, point two, spiritual ones help the team. We see this in verses four through seven. Spiritual ones help the team. Verse four, excuse me, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. We're gonna see this pattern three times. Variety, same, variety, same, variety, same. Okay, get ready, here it comes. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Variety, same. Variety, same. Variety, same. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. For the common good. That word common good is sumpharon. It's used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, It's a kind of general word, but it's like help out, um, bring together, contribute, build up, benefit, general word, right? And the idea is it's not about my gift, right? I like to teach. I want to make it all about teaching. I want to say, you know what our church needs? We need 100 teachers we need to all teach more. We need bigger libraries. We need to study more. We need to teach more, right? Well, no, we need other gifts too. If you have the gift of mercy, like, you know what? We just all need to be more merciful. We all need to be mercy people, we only to just love people more, make them more cups of tea, knit them more sweaters, care for them more. Um, that makes, sounds like I'm making fun. I'm not making fun. We all just love our gift, right? And we think our gift is the important gift. He's saying, no, it's about the common good. And we need all the different gifts, the varieties, 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 same, 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 same spirit, common good, multiple gifts. You all have different gifts and you are all to contribute your gifts. We are all to bring them together and help the team, help the team. We're about the common good. I grabbed a picture of a little kid helping out in the kitchen. And this is like stock photography. So these are models, and it's like the perfectly beautiful kitchen with like the arranged vegetables that are beautiful and just the right color. You know it's not like this in real life, right? (laughs) But you have to teach your kids to pitch in. If you have kids, you know this, right? If you don't have kids, you might think, yeah, kids just naturally obey and pitch in, right? No, you actually have to teach them that. And in the same way, when a church comes together, we we have to learn together. We have to teach ourselves to care about the common good and not just to care about our little corner of our kingdom. It's a process. We have to learn to pitch in. My wife is a fantastic cook. So I always preferred for her to cook the meal. I didn't really want my kids to cook me a meal when they were little, right? But I understood, you know what? There's something more important going on here. We have to teach them to get in the kitchen as well. We have to teach them to contribute. When we needed to clean up, guests were coming over. If we didn't have much time, I would clean up. My wife would clean up, right? But if we had time, we're like, okay, kids, we all need to clean up, right? It it can be less efficient sometimes, but it's for the common good. We all have to, to pitch in. It's not about just like professionals doing the best job possible. It's about all of us contributing our gifts. That's how Jesus wants to do it. That's his plan. Let me say it another way. This is very shocking. People are God's plan for the world. Isn't that scary? Like, really, Jesus? Okay, Jesus, you're Lord. You get to say how we're going to do this. The world is broken. It's falling apart. Everything's crazy. It's on fire. What's your plan, Jesus? I'm going to have some dumb followers love me and love other people. That's how we're going to cure what's wrong with the world, right? Like that, that's what he's doing right now. And we believe he's going to come back and he's going to fix everything completely. Like our hope is ultimately in Jesus returning, but his plan right now is for us to be his hands and feet and to make an impact in our world, to come together for the common good, to, to spend our gifts, to help each other out, to build up others. So, Before we move on, I just want to recognize that one of the things that gets in the way of this is one of the strengths of American culture. One of our strengths and one of our glories is our rugged individualism, individual responsibility. That is something we can give thanks to our founding fathers for. We can give thanks to kind of the way our country was put together. That's a good and beautiful thing, but just recognize that's not the gospel, right? And more and more I think people are recognizing like oh there's problems with radical individualism it can it can cause consumerism and it can cause a selfishness and you know we've got this whole world where we walk around looking at our phones and we're all like trapped in our own you know individualistic world we can see more and more the problems of that when taken to an ex- extreme but the cure then is not to swing to the other extreme and say oh well you know radical communalism that'll that'll fix everything right that's just another cult Got the cult of radical individualism, the cult of radical communalism. No, the cure is the gospel. The cure is recognizing we're all individuals, right? We're individually responsible before God. We will have to answer to him for what we've done with our lives. But as we entrust him with our judgment and say, Jesus, you're my only hope, you are Lord, and he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to make a difference for the common communal good of the church and of the world. And so God wants to work through your individual gifts. They're all different, varieties, right? The other thing that's interesting here is notice he says varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, right? He's scattering the language around because sometimes I think in our kind of denominational fractionalism, our our differences are like, well, we say it this way. In our church, we use this word. and In that church, they use that way. I like how Paul just mixes up all the terms, right? He's like, just so we're clear, There's a lot of variety, okay? (laughs) I don't care if you call them gifts. I don't care if you call it spirituality or if you call it services, you know. It's God gives us this diversity and he wants us to use it for the common good. Okay, we'll move on. Third point, play your part. Third point is play your part, verses eight through 11. We pick up in verse eight through 11. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. Some of you may have the gift of, of wisdom, You can see how God wants to move in a certain situation. You can understand his his word. Um, He goes on. He says, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of of knowledge, according to the same spirit. So he's going to keep hammering the sameness while he lists different gifts of God's grace. Uh, Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Some of you may just have this incredible ability to believe God, to trust him. For certain situations or in the big picture, just trusting him to help you to grow and to make a difference in the world. He goes on to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. We don't see this as often, but God can heal. If God wants to heal, right? You might have the gift of healing. Um, He says to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, kind of know like, no, this is bad, this is good. To another, various kinds of tongues, that word literally means languages. So they would speak in different languages. And again, sometimes charismatic churches make much of this in a particular way, and we'll deal with that more over the next few weeks. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. But saying there are these different kinds of gifts to another, the interpretation of these different languages. All of these different gifts that you might have, all these different gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's a really good bottom line again. Who's in charge? Who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Here's saying the Spirit is Lord. We believe it's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit is Lord. The Spirit gets to apportion to distribute the gifts as he, as he chooses. How are you on, on coming to terms with the gifts that God has given you? Are you mad with him about it? It was just a few years ago I started to figure out I'm not going to be an NFL running back. (laughs) Maybe if I work out a little more, maybe I could make it. But I don't know, there aren't very many 50-year-old NFL running backs, right? And sometimes we can be bitter. Like, but God, I wanted to do this, right? God, I wanted to look like this or to feel this way or to have this gift or to have this much money or to have these kinds of friends or to live in this place. The Spirit distributes as He wills. God is sovereign. Do you recognize that Jesus is Lord? God is the king and he's good. We can be bitter about it when we don't trust him. But the more we trust him, the more we can invest the talents he's given us with reckless abandon. Instead of holding back like the parable of the talents where the guy was like, I didn't trust you. I knew you were unfair. So I just, I didn't even invest my talent. When we trust him, we'll invest. We'll spend our lives with with reckless abandon. That same spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we've got these different gifts. And again, as we unpack, we'll, we'll talk more about some of the weird ones, right? We'll talk about more of the weird stuff over the next few weeks. But what I want you to see here is that he gives a list of gifts here in chapter 12. He gives another list at the end of chapter 12. He also gives a different list in Romans chapter 12. He also gives a different list in Ephesians chapter 4. And then Peter love Peter. He's nice and simple. Peter just says there's two kinds of gifts, speaking and serving. So Peter makes it as simple as possible. But as we compare all these different charts and lists, and then you add on top of that, the fruit of the spirit list in Galatians 5, through 23, that I already talked about, you start to recognize that finding your exact gift is probably not that important. So what I want to encourage you with is some of you have, have really struggled with that. I want to know what my gift is. And I think there's there's great benefit in understanding yourself like personality tests. My wife and I have enjoyed those just to help us understand each other. Those can be helpful in relationships and it can be helpful to grow in your gifts in a working environment or a church environment where you're like, oh, I, I thought I was about this, but when I did this other thing, people responded and said that was really helpful, right? Just in the community context, it can be helpful to work those things out. But knowing it as an exact science is just not that important. Pitching in, playing your role, is the important part. So to use a band analogy, right? Like you might play saxophone for a while and then later on he's like, now I want you to play clarinet. That's okay. It's not that exact. I'll use the band analogy more. Um, I grabbed a picture here of Scary Pockets performing. How many of you ever heard of Scary Pockets? Nobody? Okay. I'm introducing everybody to this great band. Okay. (laughs) What they do is they do... Oh, thank you. Thank you in the back. Uh, Scary Pockets, uh, Jack Conte is, I think, the, the genius behind these guys. Scary Pockets is really just two dudes, and then they bring in like three, four, five, 10, 20 other musicians for every song they do. And what they do is they do old cover songs, and they do them in like an updated kind of funk sound. It's really awesome. Um, I use the illustration, though, is because they all have different parts to play. They come in, they play their parts and the parts aren't that important, right? The parts change from song to song. They might bring in more of a certain kind of instrument for certain songs and a different singer for different songs, right? And that's part of the beauty of what God is doing here. God loves that kind of diversity. He loves the the uniqueness of our church and God loves that our church is a different bunch of players and instruments than it was just five years ago. That pleases the Lord. God is the God that made the world. He's the one that made all the flowers. He's the one that made all the birds. My wife and I were enjoying seeing the birds come into the bird feeder in the ice this week. God makes this diversity to play the same song of his glory and his grace to us in Jesus. And so he brings us together, different instruments, different experiences, and he says, play your role. Now we're gonna get this uh, more next week, but I wanna kind of preview a little bit Um, A few years ago, we went mountain biking. One of our assistant pastors broke his shoulder, right? We were sad that we broke one of our assistant pastors in a bonding event, but he healed. But while he had his arm in a sling, right? It was a bummer. Why? Because he broke his left shoulder and he was left-handed, right? And I said, well, let that be a lesson to you. You shouldn't be left-handed, right? No, I didn't say that. But what happened? He had to use his right hand, even though he was more gifted with his left hand. If you've ever had an injury, I just cut my right finger yesterday. Then I have to be more careful with the right hand and I I start using my left hand more so I don't scrape it on things, right? What's what's the image here? The image is you just kind of do whatever needs to be done. Play your role, but don't be so concerned about your role. Playing your part sometimes means using the wrong hand. Playing your part sometimes means just filling in with whatever needs to be done. And so... The second thing I wanna say about this is I wanna thank you for how you all have played your role. 15 years ago, I felt like God was calling us to help plant a new church in the Fort Hood area. And in the process, I prayed that God would bring people to help us because I knew a church is not like one person. A church wasn't even the 20 people that were in our original core group coming from the temple church, right? A church is, is all of you. And over 15 years, it's been many different people that have come and gone through a transient church like this. Thank you for playing your part. I just got to go to a missionary fundraising conference last week. We went, I went with one of our missionaries. Uh, I wanted to better understand how to talk about money at our own church. You know, we, we try so hard to not be a health and wealth church that I feel like we almost don't talk about money at all sometimes. So I was like, okay, I need to get more training on this. But also our missionaries all use it and our church planters use it to help raise funds when they go start new work. So I needed to better understand it as I mentor and help them. And it was fantastic. One of the big emphases from a book called The God Ask is that whenever we're involved in a ministry, we're asking God to show us what to do next, right? And so for years, I've been asking God, God, help me. This is too much, right? Like I wanna impact Colleen with the gospel. I wanna help more people in Colleen know Jesus and I wanna help more people in Colleen obey Jesus. But I can't do it by myself. And guess what? My prayers have been answered. You are the answer to my prayers. So I wanna thank you for that. I wanna thank you for the ways that you've partnered in ministry with us here at Grace Bible Church. And thank you that if the spirit of God is living in you, you're gonna go partner with another work in another place. And you might make a different kind of tune in that other place, but it 'll still be for the glory of God and the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. It might you know it might be more funk in one place, it might be more r and b in another place, but we 're all playing the same beautiful music about who Jesus is and what he 's done. So thank you for your contribution. Thank you for your partnership and keep going don 't give up. continue to play your role. God loves the diversity that he's made the world with, and he loves the diversity that he's made you with. And he needs you. He wants you. I guess need is strong. God doesn't need any of us. God wants to use us. That's his plan. We are God's plan for the world. He wants to use us. It, it pleases him to use us to tell more people about Jesus and to help people grow in their faith in Christ. So look around, see what needs to be done. I joked earlier when I was coming up on stage, our nursery director said, hey, if, if it's on your heart, volunteer in the nursery, hey, again, it doesn't need to be on your heart. You can just pitch in, okay? You can just help out. But I'm gonna trust that God's gonna fill those needs and just trust that part of how he fills the needs is us asking you to participate, saying, hey, we need people to participate. Will you pray and ask God if that's the right place for you? We all can pitch in together and glorify God. Okay, we'll end here we'll wrap up thinking again about what it means to be the truly spiritual ones. Who are the truly spiritual ones? Are the truly spiritual ones the people that look like you? Are the truly spiritual ones the people that look like me? Are the truly spiritual ones the ones that have the gifts that you like or that I like? Here, Paul says, no, the truly spiritual ones are the ones that say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. He's in charge. Have you come to that place yet? Whereas Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, you've recognized that you are spiritually poor, that you need him. Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. If you tell him that, he'll say yes. As he says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes to the door, opens the door, invites me in, I will come in. I'll eat with you. Jesus will be with you. He's inviting you. He's, you're inviting him in. He's inviting you to invite him in. I know I got all confused about my words. He's standing at the door and knocking invite him in. Say, Jesus, I need you. He will come in and save you and then use you for his glory. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have come after us. We pray that you would fill us by your spirit so that we would see our own spiritual lack and rejoice that you come to fill us. Thank you for saving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.